Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Messina. Today is Wednesday, August 11th, and this is the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. The whole concept for the show was essentially I've been a longtime listener to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, which Brian co- or hosts. Um, and, you know, I'd find myself just kind of like walking around, especially during the pandemic, wanting to talk to someone about these stories. And it occurred to me, why don't I just talk to Brian himself? And so social audio happened to come along at the very right moment. And here we are. So essentially, we take some time to go deeper into the biggest, most interesting tech stories that are going on in the world. We try to bring on folks who know some things about these things. And on the one hand, put things into some historical context. We also talk about product context. We talk about the business models of this stuff. And we just try to like learn um, kind of what's happening, like what is going on in this world at the bleeding edge of, of tech. So that's the preamble. Um, this topic today, specifically around the, the Galaxy Unfold and the Samsung event, I am actually going to plead my ignorance. I don't follow that space too closely, but this is something that Brian does and Sam specifically does. So uh, no kidding, because it's it's unpacked. The event was unpacked, Chris. And I just wanted to make sure that you guys saw, <laughs> in a very embarrassing public way, how little I follow that space. So you know, it's like if I called it like I don't know, like the the no, I'm, I'm not going to come up with something else. Anyways. Anyways, you got the point. I'm going to let Brian and Sam take over. Yeah, let me let me take the baton. And Sam, uh, even though I'm making fun of Chris, um, today's event was all about flipping and folding. Um, so um, just let, let's just start out with your general impressions of the event today. Uh, we got a we got a flip three. We got a fold three. Um, let, let's start with mm-hmm. that, and then we can get into the other uh, other things uh, around the margins. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of interesting that you say that, like, you know, you don't have a lot of experience with foldables. And I think that was kind of the whole message of Samsung's entire event. Uh, This is the third Galaxy Fold. But I mean, you'd be totally forgiven if you kind of wrote the first one off. That one had a bunch of issues. The second one made a lot of big, interesting steps. But now we have a third generation Galaxy Fold and then a new Galaxy uh, Z Flip 3. And I, I think that, you know, Samsung is really trying to push that, like, Oh, hey, foldables are ready for the mainstream. Yes, they're still, you know, wildly expensive, especially the Fold 3. But, you know, it's, they're, they're like, oh, these things are usable. They have water resistance. They, they're, they're, the durability is improved. And, and that's kind of, you know, really trying to make sure that people's like, oh, foldables aren't scary. Um, they're, they're usable. And, and there might be even some reasons, some very good reasons why you might want one. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, way to think about it. Like the the I uh, I had I actually even though I do cover this all the time, I had forgotten that there was a difference between a fold and a flip. You know, um, and I believe mm-hmm. you you have the fold right. So first of all, just explain uh, explain how Samsung has these two different devices and how they're slightly different, but then uh, maybe what's new about these new ones? Yeah, for sure. So the the. Galaxy Z Flip 3 is kind of their more mainstream uh, phone. It's kind of like your old school flip phone, uh, flip, flip phone, but modernized with modern flexible screen technology. And and so that one, I think, you know, that one in between uh, being priced at $1,000, you know, that one is like, oh, okay, it's kind of like, you know, an interesting alternative to a traditional, you know, glass lab smartphone. And the pricing makes it so that it's like, Oh, but now you actually got to think about that choice if you're the kind of person who buys, you know, premium phones. And then on the other hand, you have the Galaxy Z Fold 3, and that is their their big screen. It's it's their their power user phone. And, you know, it's it's big, it's heavy, 
but if you really love big screen phones, you can't really find anything better. And then for this model, they added stylus support. So not only is it a big screen phone, also kind of a Galaxy Note replacement. So it's kind of bridging that really those kind of two audiences into something that is like really, you know, do everything device, unlike anything we've really seen before. All right. I want to come back to your personal experience with the Fold. But um, in general, both of these are sort of iterative devices like there's not uh, the the fold gets the s pen support um i think they Mm -hmm. uh the screens got improved there's water resistance or whatever but um uh essentially both of these phones are kind of like their their previous gens right Mm -hmm. yeah uh, the, the designs are very similar to the previous generations um and like you said it is iterative iterative but it's iterative in the way that you know, everything, it's like adding that extra layer of, of polish because these devices were so new that there were just a lot of things that Samsung just simply wasn't, wasn't going to know until people were able to use them in the wild. And now two generations in, they're able to make, you know, a, a couple important upgrades in terms of just everyday usability. And I think that's, you know, partly what, what the previous models were missing. Um, the, uh, the flip, which is the one that is the razor sort of clamshell flip, Mm -hmm. because it reminds you of a flip phone of old. Um, one interesting thing is that, that this is the first time that, uh, at least Samsung has got, uh, uh, one of these foldable phones under a thousand dollars. Are they the only ones? Are they the first to get a a foldable phone under a thousand dollars? Yeah, uh, and right now, and it, it just you know varies kind of uh, depending on where you live, but especially in North America, uh, the, uh, the Flip is by far the cheapest foldable device, um, and it is the first one to get like really get under that um, and sneak in under that thousand dollar price mark. Uh, and, and if you look over in China, there's the Huawei Mate, C- uh, Mate X series, and uh, Xiaomi has a couple things that they're working on that haven't released yet. But especially, you know, over in the West, Samsung is, you know, they have a three-generation lead on pretty much everybody else. Uh, obviously, we, we can't know this because they were just announced today um, in terms of uh, the durability. You mentioned the durability and how they're, they're learning mm-hmm. several generations in, but um, I'm going to reference your uh, piece about living with one of these in a second. But um, the idea of having a crease and having, you know, air bubbles um, appear in between the screens and things like that. Do we know anything about what they've done for this generation to make uh, the durability and the, those sorts of things go away? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, obviously, they added the IPX8 water resistance. So you can, you know, it's you can drop it into up to five feet of water for 30 minutes. And that is, right there is a big improvement in terms of, you know, just usability because, you know, most premium phones today come with water resistance. And so that was, you know, a really important kind of tick in the box that Samsung had to do. Um, but in terms of like durability, uh, there's a new um, armor aluminum. It's a Samsung's, you know, custom alloy that's supposed to be stronger on the hinge. Uh, the screen protector itself, they've switched from a TPU material to a PTE material. And they've made uh, the adhesive for that factory installed screen protector uh, significantly stickier. So they're talking about uh, 80% um, more, dur- uh, 80% better durability. Um, you know, obviously that's going to be remain to be tested and making sure that, you know, 
that screen protector does not come away because that's you know what caused the bubbles on on my uh, personal fold too. Do we know anything about the um, the market penetration of foldables in terms of and and I, I'm not saying even worldwide. Let's just say North America. And it used to be I would know uh, sort of anecdotally about these sort of things because I'd be on the train every day and I'd see various phones in the world and things like that. But do we know if if this lineup has been successful for Samsung specifically, or is this still experimental for them? I think Samsung has been really cautious about releasing, you know, sales figures, especially when it comes to the foldables. So there's not a ton of information, um, kind of available. Uh, but kind of like you were saying, I haven't seen anyone use one of these in the wild that wasn't like a YouTuber or in the tech media space. Um, and so I think that kind of goes to show you that. You, to a certain extent, they haven't really penetrated it, and that's kind of what this—you know—they they were really trying to make a statement about with this unpacked event. Yeah. So, actually, do you want to yeah, like ask ahead. the audience, like, who who here raise your hand, the, yeah. the little heart? Yeah, raise your hand. Give us some kind of a moat. Give us a sense if you have a foldable or flip phone right now. And I'm seeing crickets. Nothing. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, that's that's to be expected. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, but Sam, the the even the reason that I reached out to you is because you did earlier this week write a piece about living with a foldable phone, um, yep. which you said was a game changer with one terrible downside. So let me let me just uh, specify that, and this is so confusing. I actually even writing up today's show, I had a hard time uh, distinguishing between the flip and the fold. You have. Mm-hmm. The fold two and the fold is yep, the I one. Have the, fold two. the fold is the one where if it's closed up, it looks like a candy bar. It's very tall, um, and then yep, it's like kind of like a long baton, almost like a like a TV remote with a screen on it, or or a candy bar, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and then, it, uh, but what this one has that the flip doesn't. The flip again, looks like a old school razor and has a little tiny screen that will give you like notifications and stuff. But the fold in theory, you can use without opening because it has a a front screen on the top that functions like a Mm -hmm. full um, smartphone slab of glass. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, on the outside of the device, there's a, what Samsung calls a cover screen. And it's basically an exterior screen so that, I mean, the way, the way it's kind of intended to use that, if you want to check, you know, notifications, respond to a text, you know, look up something in Google maps or whatever, um, the exterior cover screen is able to like get you what you need to do quickly. And then you can go about, about your business. Um, it's kind of like, you know, trying to make things really easy and simple. And so, you know, cause opening up the phone is actually kind of a process. Like it's, it's a two handed operation. Um, and so, you know, you don't always want to like sit there and like unfold something, especially if you're walking around the street. That's a hundred percent. My question <laughs> is that as dumb as this may seem, if I say this out loud, it's like, how often would I really want to unfold my phone to use it? Um, but in reality, if you think about it, you can see how it'd be like, God damn it. Do I have to open? I just want to, I just want to see what that text is. I just want to respond. So question number one, you've been living with a, a, a Z fold two. How, how often do you find yourself opening it? And how often are you just leaving it closed and using it? Like anybody else uses a slab of glass. Yeah. So uh, the, the kind of the way I think about it is if you're walking on the street or you're in a hurry or whatever, 
you just use that outside screen and you, you, you use it basically like any other phone. Where, where the, you know, that big interior screen comes into play is if you're, you know, commuting on the subway, if you're, you know, watching a movie in bed, or even just like, you know, sitting on the couch, having that extra screen real estate makes browsing everything just so much better, um, or playing games or everything. So it's really just like kind of two modes. There's the quick on the go mode, and that's the outside cover screen. And there's the Oh, I want to enjoy something. I want to like kind of sink my teeth into some content, whatever it is. And that's when that big screen really comes into play. Okay. But that I'm going to ask it a kind of slightly different way, but the same question, which is like my phone's sitting on my desk in front of me right now. And so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be opening it up to do something like if you, in your average day, um, are you opening it? 30% 30% of the time, 50% of the time. I'm, I'm going to say 50% of the time. Interesting. Because it's that, it's yeah, that. It's, it's really, it's really, it's really that balance in terms of, and obviously, you know, it depends on what you're doing that day, but you know, there are different times where like, or, or even like I'll check something or like I'll be scrolling through Twitter and I see like a funny video and I'm like, Oh, I want to see that. And then I'll open up the phone. And so it's like, it's kind of dynamic in that way where it changes the way it operates based on what you want to do. You know, I will say just to jump in here, because I that, that, that is a use case that I think is, is relevant, um, or at least a behavior where half the time I'll see emails or I'll see things that are just kind of like somewhat larger tasks where I do want the bigger screen. And I'm kind of like, you know, even though I've got like an iPhone Pro 11 Max or whatever, probably got that one wrong too. Um, there's still moments where I want to have like more screen real estate. So I can imagine actually mm-hmm. having that in the device itself and being able to expand in situ kind of, allows you to drive through and, and, you know, I'm so distractible that by the time I get to my big screen, I'm like, what was I even doing? And like, oh, look, Twitter. So I can imagine that that actually might actually increase your productivity to some extent. Um, I guess, is that your experience of it? And by the way, I also just want to remind everyone that I am pinning tweets that are, you know, sharing related content or reviews or things like that too, as we're going. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm more productive on this thing because this, like, the fold to me is like the ultimate time waster because it makes every distraction way more interesting. Huh. Um, interesting. But, you know, I, I have, you know, I have used it at trade shows and stuff like that. And, you know, being able to multitask um, and just having like side by side apps where I can, you know, check a calendar and then check an email to make sure, like, hey, am I going to the right place or whatever? I think that is supremely useful. Absolutely. That's one of the things that they were saying was even improved today is like, you know, uh, tiling around various things so you can have multiple things running at the same time. But go ahead, Chris. Well, you got a, fa- well, you got a faster screen refresh rate and things like yeah, that. Yeah. I guess like the question is, you know, with this event and with all the press around it, do you think Samsung achieved what they set out to do? In other words, to convince people that, you know, a fold or a folding device or a flip phone is both sufficiently differentiated and more appropriate for the given use cases relative to a flat slab of you know glass and metal. Yeah, for sure. I think in terms of the fold, that price is still going to put out a reach of pretty much everybody. Um, yeah. You know, you have to be like a bleeding edge enthusiast to like say I'm going to willingly spend eighteen hundred dollars on a phone, whatever. Yeah. As when it comes to the flip, I think that is much more interesting because it's like. I mean, if you look around the space, that's might be the most stylish phone on the market now. Oh, they God. did a really good job it with looks, the cases, with the colors. Great. It looks great. 
and then even had the case with like the elastic band on the back. So it's like, it kind of brings in a little bit of utility and like, you know, it's better looking than a pop socket. Um, and, and so I, I think the style play is a really interesting angle from Samsung. And then combined with that, with making it basically the same price as, you know, an iPhone uh, 12 pro or whatever, then you're like, Oh man, I can have something that looks really cool and it does everything I wanted to do normally. And that, I think that's a really interesting kind of conundrum. Final question-ish, um, with the caveat that we don't know how much this has been improved, but uh, you mentioned in your living with a foldable phone that you have been living with a crease and things like that. Um, how, how much does that bug you in, in, in day-to-day driving? Uh, the crease bugs me about zero percent. Uh, if you look at it straight on, you don't see the crease. It's only if you look at it from like, you know, side angles, you actually notice the crease. And to me, like, I honestly don't even see the crease anymore. Now, as it comes to like the bubbling, you know, I've had the phone for about nine, 10 months. And, you know, because the, the screen protector is kind of peeled away, air bubbles just get trapped in there. Uh, it's an, and it's a daily, it's a daily battle where I'm constantly like smoothing out the screen, pushing out the bubbles. And it's really annoying. And I said this back when I reviewed this and it's like, I was worried that this was going to happen and it did. And so I think, you know, that was one of the things that Samsung worked to improve. And it, it's, it's like those little details that like, you don't really think much about in the beginning. And then it becomes like, Oh, this is just really annoying on a daily, the daily basis. And I think that's what they, you know, were really trying to address in part uh, with the new devices. That sounds horrible, by the way, like a laminated device that like gets bubbles. Like, right. And so I have to be kind of, kind of specific when I talk about this, because Technically, you can remove move, uh, remove the screen protector, and that would solve all of my problems in ten seconds. Now, <laughs> now you know, if you go <laughs> right, well, and if you go back to the, the Galaxy Fold One, when people did that, they just ruined the screen because right. it was completely different construction. And so, for this one, like you know, Samsung was really careful to warn people: Hey, you can take it off, but if you do it, we strongly, strongly recommend you take it to a service center. And, you know, so I tried to play by Samsung's rules. I tried to, you know, abide by all their guidelines and stuff. And it just doesn't work because, you know, after six months or so, you know, I, I wanted to take, take it apart, but uh, or take the screen protector off. But, you know, it was the middle of pandemic. Like, it doesn't make sense to go out to a Samsung service center, which there aren't a ton of, or maybe a Best Buy. Um, and then just to get a screen protector replaced, that's something that people have kind of gotten accustomed to doing at home. And so that, it, it was definitely frustrating. Um, but, you know, I have talked to other people, other Fold users who took the screen protector off, and they said that they haven't had any issues. But, you know, if you, you know, that's not, Samsung would really prefer you not to. Well, I guess uh, we can uh, look forward to, what would it be, 2023 when the uh, iPhone gets a foldable <laughs> or something. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, in some ways, Apple's like Apple's smart because they're they're kind of sitting back and watching Samsung kind of navigate the the early the early stages of foldable devices. And this is like what Apple has been really good at throughout the years is they let people kind of test the waters and then they swoop in, you know, a couple of generations in and like, oh, here's our device, and it doesn't have any of the issues because we didn't make. You know, we didn't try this before, you know, people thought it was ready or, you know, before they felt that, you know, the device was in a proper, you know, proper state for, for the masses. 
Got it. All right, Sam, we really appreciate you coming on. Really appreciate your experience, you know, kind of at least educating me on this whole space. I, I, I did a little bit of digging. I got to say this like today, and I learned a lot more about it. And I was actually impressed, you know, by the look of these things, by the functionality that could be there. I think you're right. The price point it just makes it a little bit, you know, you're not going to really experiment. Like you got to got to be either, you know, got crypto, you know, billions or, you know, just, I guess, looking for that, that extra productivity boost or something. But um, really helpful putting this all in context for us. So thanks for, for coming on today. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Feel free to stick around. Um, I, I wanted to, I guess, you know, bring this up as a, as it's not even, uh, actually it is, it's a bit of a segue. Um, you know, today uh, <laughs> Twitter launched a new font. Um, and of course it sort of broke the internet and the places where people talk about and kvetch about things that they see and that they weren't consulted on. And it's so, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? Like, I will admit that I do this and I, I probably shouldn't admit this because now everyone who I work with is going to know that I'm the culprit. But oftentimes I will go into like Google docs and I will select all and I will change the font. Usually do something like work sans, you know, totally appropriate, very tasteful, of course, which is my taste. Um, and then I'll, I'll go into the styles and I'll change normal to um, the normal text to have the new font and then everything cascades. And I'm sure everyone just like gets really, really upset with me. Uh, but they don't know, uh, at least until now, that I'm the one who does that. And so I feel like Twitter kind of just did that to like most of the internet. And, you know, I, I like the chirp typeface. It's, uh, it's a little bit like Franklin Gothic. It's, it's uh, you know, it's its own thing. There are areas where, at least on the website, the font hasn't totally rolled out, but it does, it, it looks and it feels different. It's, it's sharp and it's, Right, especially on retina displays. Um, and I'm curious if I will, I don't know, if I'm going to notice that feel, you know, just as I have with San Francisco, which is the, the typeface that, that uh, Apple uses, um, when, I'm, when I'm spending time in, in Twitter properties. Um, it doesn't seem to have rolled out on the desktop app yet, though. Um, and what was the other thing I was going to say about it? Um, it's probably boring to people who don't follow this stuff. But. I can't see it on TweetDeck. And also, it's like... You oh, know, TweetDeck. Oh, rip TweetDeck. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be using the beta. Like, the TweetDeck's going away. Well, right. But listen, I, I, I use what I use. But also, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm also... You know how there, there's people that, like, can't hear... Um, music, can't hear tunes or something like that. Like, oh, I, I see. They're like, they're like font blind. I'm kind of, applying? I'm a little bit design blind. I wouldn't even say font blind. I'd be like, <laughs> I you, see. you could change yeah. a whole bunch of stuff to me. And I'm like, you're like, they changed it. What am I, what is this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't see it. I'm like, look, look at the, look at the, the linkatures. Look at the, yeah, you're like, I don't, I don't get it. Anyways, it was a big deal to me and I saw it. And I, so I see you Twitter and like, they, I don't know, they, they've, they've been doing a lot of stuff. And I remember, I'll bring this, this one last anecdote up. Um, this is a very, uh, well, this is interesting to me, but I don't know if anybody else cares, but when I was at Google, um, and I was working at Google plus, we also tried to design our own font. Um, and I believe that font was called open sans. Now, ironically, open sans, you know, and I was a big open source advocate for a long time was not actually that open. In fact, there was some dispute with the typeface, uh, company that designed it that they wanted to be paid for like every single install or something. And, you know, think about a, a, a web font. And think about Google scale. And every time the font gets downloaded, that company gets paid. I mean, that's a really, really great business. But Google was like, uh-uh. So that's actually how Roboto came along, is that they ended up doing it internally. They commissioned their own font um, so they would have their own look and feel. And that's that's one of the things that sort of got the whole web font thing going. Um, but I found that to be very interesting. That was going to be part of the Google Plus like design, brand, voice, and all this stuff. So I just I guess um, I, I, I understand the both business cost 
of putting out a font, of designing your font, the, the, the cost that goes into it, um, and just the, the the weight in not using a system font. But we're you know moving forward with the web. It's coming. You know, the design's getting improved, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, so hats off to that team. Hopefully, they're you know going to go off and spend some time with some uh, lead type or something tonight. You know, and have a good time. Um, okay. The the reason why that's sort of a segue is because. I, I, this is not something, Brian, you brought up. I don't even know if it made it to TechBeam today, but I did see it trending on Twitter, um, which is that 1Password announced, and I think this actually happened a couple days ago, but it just hit my transom today, that they are opening up their early access program for 1Password 8. Now, 1Password, as I'm sure many people are familiar with it, um, but it is the number one password, you know, as a word, altogether, that's the brand name, and it is essentially a password manager. Now, I went back into my email archives and I found that my very first email with Dave Tear, the CEO of um, 1Password, back when he was running a company called Agile Web Solutions, so he was like early days of Agile, was from 2006. And in 2006, I sent him an email and I was like, hey, I think you should add support for OpenID into 1Password. So I've been a, a user of this product for a very long time. I have to say, I was I was not successful in convincing them to adopt OpenID, and of course, OpenID has not really taken the web by storm as we had once hoped. But regardless, one password did not only succeed but stick around. Um, they announced a hundred million dollar investment from Excel Partners back in July um, to really blow this thing up. And so, which I anyways, which I, I didn't cover, but I really almost I, I I would have if it hadn't been a busy day, like. Um, because I live with one password and everything I do all the time. Yeah, well, so so why don't you know? I, I want to I want to bring up some folks today from the one password team. We actually have a bunch of folks here. I I reached out to them because I was like, hey, you know, I'm sort of like dunking on this, and lots of people are dunking on this um, because of a number of either ways of communicating or messaging or just again, you know, it's just like changing the fonts. Like there are some changes, and people are afraid and they're scared, and and so therefore. People have expressed that concern, Brian. But why don't why don't you tell us a little bit about how you use One Password so people sort of understand, you know, what that experience is, what that product is, and then we'll we'll bring this up and talk about sort of these changes and what's happening next. I mean, uh, we keep talking about Chris. Uh, we're going to do a, uh, an episode one time where we talk about how we we, will. Uh, we do our workflows and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a ticketed space. That's what we're going to do. We're I mean, sell tickets for that. I feel like over a decade now i've i've been using one password and it's like you know it was it was early days of me trying to be secure in what i did on the internet and this is me not doing an ad for them this is me like literally you know every single uh login that i have has a different password and then when they integrated it with the iphone that was insanely great and so yeah i mean every every time i go to any website i log in with one password when it's on the phone i can i just do the same thing and it opens with um face id uh, they integrated um uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, the the two factor authentication, where it's the yep. um, the code. OTP. Oh, yeah, OTP. Yep. Right, exactly. So I mean, it's just it, it just gets better and better and better. And um, you know, I'm now paying for it on a yearly <laughs> basis, but I'm happy to. It's one of those things that is so fundamental to everything that I do that it's it's fine. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? 
That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash techmeme. It's fine. Is that is that your word? Um, it's fine in the way that you you pay for everything that makes oh, your life it, function. You're you're satisfied and, and not. Angry I, I'm and okay. Okay. Uh, if that sounded bad, no. I'm saying I love one password. <laughs> I'm happy to pay. Um, and then what I need you to do is explain to me what this new change is that people are right. up in arms about. Well, like I said, we've got, we've got, um, we're just, I mean, we got Michael here to sort of like help us to, you know, go through this and understand this. We got folks in the team. My, I will, I will give you my, my impression. I pinned my tweet, which is part of a, a I guess, um, I'll, I'll explain how this happened and how I, I, I don't know. I was on Twitter a lot today, just ogling at the font, um, the new typeface. And, uh, I saw, um, this guy, Cinder, who's a prolific Mac developer, basically say, oh, I think I should go, what did he say? He said, I, I'm really thinking about going and creating my own open source password manager. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I use a lot of his apps. I'm like, that's cool, right? It seemed like a totally benign thing to say. And then a couple of tweets later, I saw someone else's tweet, oh, this guy, Curtis Hebert, or Herbert, at Parrots, um, where he, I guess, downloaded the 1Password8 binary, took a look inside, and realized that this was no longer a native Mac app, but was actually an Electron app. And for, for folks who have used Electron apps, they typically are pretty resource intensive. They tend to be slow. They tend to like, you know, it's like basically running a browser as an application. Uh, and, you know, if your browser is already slow, now you've got like, you know, dozens of browsers that are all running as separate instances because of the way that, that platform and system works. And so instantly, you know, for me, I was like, oh, this is terrible. And like, the, the reason why this is happening, and again, this is all extrapolation, and that's why we're having this conversation, um, was because, you know, they raised all this money, and now they've got to be cross-platform. They're no longer true to their Mac, you know, roots, and, you know, they're abandoning us, and it's another example of how the world is going to hell, et cetera, and so forth. And so it, it, that was sort of like, I guess, my initial, you know, response. And then I was like, well, let me take a step back. There's reasons and yada, yada. And so um, anyways, I would love to be, you know, told how, how I've got it wrong and what's really going on here. So uh, I will step back and let the, the folks with 1Password uh, tell us more. Hey, Chris. Um, this is Rustam. Hey, man. One of, the, one, of, one of the founders of 1Password. And I remember the first time we met in San Francisco. Um, yeah. Yep. And then I think at some point he mentioned that you have over 10,000 items stored in 1Password. Uh-huh. Oh, right. That was my problem. Was it, was it like I had like, I was like stress testing the limits of this thing. Let me, actually, I'm going to see how many I have right now. Cause I probably have way more than 10,000. And that was crazy. Like I, I, I actually, I use every time, every time our people on our team tell us that the performance is fine. I'm like, we have a user that has over 10,000 items in one password. You weirdo, Chris. You weirdo. I, I know. I'm sorry. Right now I only have 6,539 items. Um, and that's across 10 vaults. 
So I don't know if it's if, much more reasonable. And yeah, that's which we should say it's, it's not just passwords because right there's secure notes. Is that what it is, Chris? Because you know I save all sorts of secure notes in there for like you know my no. It's mostly passwords. I mean this this, this will tell you my my scar tissue. This is why I am such a I don't know weird. OCD person. I mean, if you go all the way back to like the early days when I was like taking screenshots of things and posting it to Flickr, like I tried every goddamn app that came out. And back yeah. when, you know, before OpenID and before Google authentication, you would, you know, use mostly the same password everywhere until a password manager came along and allowed you to, you know, change your password and not use the same password everywhere. And then you needed a place to record all those passwords, hence one password, hence the proliferation of all those assignments. So yes, I use many of the features, you know, inclu- including you know, I've got passport information and address information. I've got Wi-Fi passwords. I, I imported my keychain at one point um, back when there was a separation. I don't know before one password actually used one uh, keychain to store the information, and then somehow that changed. Anyways, I have a lot of, a lot of <laughs> yeah. So I think that's probably more than like any any other one password user. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you do, you just downloaded the one password eight right as well today. I, I saw did, your screenshots, so that, that yeah. was pretty nice. Was it? How was it? Was it fast for you? Like, did you see any performance issues there? I you know I haven't I haven't gone too deep with it yet. I did sign in. I will you know this is not going to be a therapy session for me necessarily, or I don't want it to be. But um, I will say that let me let me let me set this up a little bit. I have resisted the whole subscription software kind of migration like as heavily as I could and I keep falling. I, I feel like, you know, it's just like a million tiny, you know, red ants kind of like eating my feet and eventually like I just kind of give in and I die. And one password was one of those where I switched browsers. Chrome had gotten so slow and so bloated for me or whatever. And I found a browser called Sidekick. And um, I of course, you know, migrated my extensions and, and all the rest. And Psychic is, is built on Chromium, so you know it should have been a clear migration. But when it came to one password, the one like and this is a security feature actually, the one password extension didn't work with Sidekick because um, it wasn't signed to work with that browser. So right. it was actually it would have been insecure essentially to work with any random browser because blah blah blah, I'm not gonna get into the details. And so I had to switch to a one password X membership, which was the new version of the extension, in order to use it with Sidekick. And so that's when you finally got me to switch over to, to be a subscriber. And so now that I've downloaded 1Password X, you know, you guys are in this interesting kind of liminal phase as uh, Sketch is, for example, of moving from, you know, you buy a license, you own the software. If you want to upgrade to the next version, you buy the next license versus now it's more of a subscription. So I, I, I guess to, to try to answer your question, I haven't gone too deep with it, but I feel like as a result of using more and more of the web-based and cloud-based features of 1Password, um, I'm going to notice how performant, you know, it is. And especially, I don't know if you guys have, what the plans are for being cross-platform. Well, uh, it's interesting, and we could argue what is native and what is not, but to be honest, sure. like, I, for me, performance is very, very important. And yep. I actually tested the native and, quote-unquote, native uh, 1Password side-by-side. And the version that we have right now is faster. Like, the UI-wise, uh, mm. things that I can do there are faster. And how how do how do you achieve that? Like like let's let's talk a little bit about like what's working um, in your favor because one of the things that it, you, I heard you guys talk about before is that you know you've moved over to Rust and you know I don't know also like software especially as complex as a, a product like One Password develops just a lot of kind of cruft and stuff over time you know unless you've rewritten it recently and my sense is that One Password has a lot of old code that goes way back 
And so this opportunity with 1Password 8 really was an opportunity to move really to a web front end and a, and a stronger kind of foundational core. Um, and so that gives you some of the new web architecture stuff to speed up the front end. Is that accurate or am I getting that wrong? Um, can I, can I jump in, Rustam? Just, just a sec. I want to say that we <laughs> did rewrite one password of one password in the past uh, a few times, and I think we it was always a very painful experience. And yeah. It always involved a lot of work, so people should not their software, right? But <laughs> I think in this case it was justified, and I let Michael to to say to tell you why. Okay, Michael, yeah. why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, uh, I'm Michael Fay. I'm the VP of Engineering for the Client Apps here at One Password. Nice. Um, so, and thanks, by the way, Chris. Thanks for having us. This is cool. <laughs> sure. um, I mean, yeah, I had to learn what a Twitter space was, but once I got that sorted, like this is, this is great. <laughs> um, so there's there's this story that I have that I sort of tell to everybody that I interview to come join join my team, and it's that you know if you go back to the beginning of One Password, it started as you know Dave and Rustam built this thing. Uh, in a cave out of spare parts, uh, you know, way, way back when as a Mac app, right? And it was, they, they built it to solve a problem that they were having as they were developing websites, which was, uh, Rustam was, was, Rustam and Dave were building sign-in forms and contact forms and had to keep typing stuff in. And they were like, you can just write an app that does this for us. This is ridiculous. We'll do that. We'll take a weekend. We'll do that. We'll put it up on some, you know, version tracker and Mac update, and then we'll get back to work. And of course, you know, it blew up and it went from there. So, started as a Mac app. When the iPhone SDK came out, it became an iPhone app. We hired a Windows developer and an Android developer at, at some point along the way, and literally like one of each, and said, hey, like, here's what the iPhone app looks like. Here's what the Mac app looks like. Like, go ahead. Like, go, go build yourself a 1Password app. And here's, here's some, you know, here's a designer that, that could help you with some of it. And we sort of went. And we had separate teams that were building all of our apps and building them in parallel. And at the time, like they were, we were using Dropbox uh, to sync your data, or we were using iCloud if you were on Apple platforms, and that was fine, and it worked well, and we, you know, certainly had a lot of success there because we're, we're still here today. But even when I was running the Apple team a few years ago, I would find out stuff that the Windows team did, like when I read about it on our blog, right? Like I'd be like, oh, that's cool. Like the Windows team added this new feature. Anyway, how many people are we talking about, by the way? Like how big are these teams? Like five people each. Oh, okay. So, so like, like a big coordination <laughs> problem. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, no, it certainly, it, it shouldn't have been. But right. nonetheless, like we were it all happens. independent. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we were like, that. we've got our roadmap. We're building our cool features. The other teams are building their cool features. No you know, no big deal. And if someone, if one of the other teams added a feature that, that we thought was cool, like we'd go and build it and, but we'd do it from scratch and do it our own way. Right. And make, make our own thing. And, and so we ended up in this space where we just had separate teams building separate things, even though they were all one password apps. And even when we introduced like six years ago, when we introduced one password.com, we still built the support for the service into the client apps separately. And so we had effectively five, four or five full implementations from back end to front end of a one password app and, and including the communication, all the, all the code and all the logic and everything for communicating with the server. And 
we, we tried to do a much better job of sort of documenting the APIs and documenting the database structures and, and everything. And still we ended up with differences among the clients that when it came time to change things, you know, our, our, our server lead would come to us and say, hey, like it's time to add this new feature to your apps. When can you get this to us? And myself and every other platform lead would say the same thing, which was like, I don't know, man, like now's not a good time. I'm busy, like maybe in a few weeks. And like everybody's few weeks was different than everybody else's few weeks. And it just started to paralyze us. Like we just could, we couldn't move. We were so excited to have a service, but like we couldn't move fast to save our lives because, it, it, you know, like I said, different code stacks. So we said, all right, let's time out. Like, this is ridiculous. Like let's, let's take a step back. And so we started to look at options for creating a shared code library, a backend. Wait, wait, so when, when was this? Oh, like, when, when did you this have this was, two, three years ago, two and a half wow. years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, we had, we, we did have a, a false start where we sort mm -hmm. of like tried a thing. It didn't work out. And then we had to sort of stop and, and start over. We've used yeah. multiple um, languages to say that <laughs> yeah. and learn new things along the way. <laughs> yes. Right. So, and I, and I won't go into all the super details of that, but so, but at a certain point, like, so in earnest, Back at the big, at the end of 2019, leading into 2020, we we started to build this backend, common well, what ended up being the one password core, which is just it's a headless one password app, right? It encapsulates all the logic of what makes a one password app a one password app. So everything about the cryptography, everything about communicating with the server, the database code, the the logic for enforcing permissions up to the front end that says like this person can edit an item, but this person's in read-only mode. All of that stuff lives in one spot. And the goal being that if we consolidate the bulk of the one password app into one spot, then when it comes time for the server team to tell us, hey, look, we're, we're making a change, cool. We can have one person potentially go and make that change, and we redeploy that to all of our apps at the same time. And so that's where we sort of we we did a thing that you're never supposed to do in software, which is we rebooted all of our apps. We hit we hit file new project in five on, on five platforms effectively, right? Like we we said, okay, we're going to build uh, well, we're going to build a Linux app because we've we've had customers asking for that for ten years now, so. We think we can build a Linux app. Let's go do that. And we're definitely going to build a new Windows app. So let's do that. We're going to build a new Mac app. And uh, in fact, we sort of said we're going to build two new Mac apps. And I'll get to that in a second. Uh, we're going to build an iOS app. We're going to build an Android app. But since they're all based on this core, we can have these thin UI wrappers around the bulk of the 1Password, like the, the, you know, the, this headless 1Password app. And it should be easy to build. We should be able to move pretty quickly. We should be able to get these out the door and, and move on. And now we've, we've reset. So that as we go forward, when we want to build new features and solve new problems and stuff, we have this incredibly strong base to do this on. So what you're seeing now with the launch of 1Password for Linux back in May, uh, the 1Password for Windows early access uh, June, and then today's one password early access for mac these are the first three of the new core apps what you're going to see next is one password for ios and one password for android also built on top of the core and those are going to complete like the the first phase of our of our rewrite here 
Um, so that's sort of like where we've been and, and where, where we're, where we've gotten to so far and, and a little bit of where we're going. So I'll pause there for questions. I mean, that, thank you. That, that, that's an amazing um, just chronology in terms of where you guys have been. I had many questions uh, as, as you were kind of walking us through that. You know, I think one of them is, is in some ways, I don't know, like the, the growth of 1Password is one of these kind of obvious things uh, in retrospect. And, and I suppose maybe I'm a little bit too close to it because I've worked in the identity space for a long time and, you know, saw the promise of one login, you know, from way, way back in the day. And our, our whole sort of reason for being was to destroy the password. And it just turns out the password is far too useful and par- far too straightforward. And, you know, you know, as the guy that came up with the hashtag, like I should have known that and known better that a more complicated solution, even if it's more secure, ultimately would probably not take off given all the, you know, second order effects that uh, a single sign on, you know, incurs, you know, just, I mean, for example, and one of the thoughts that I had, actually, I think this is a big one from an architectural perspective is that one password used to sort of exist on your personal machine. And, you know, eventually, yes, you added syncing through Dropbox. And that actually was a really big deal. And I feel like Dropbox and one password kind of lived together because you'd sort of get to a new computer or you'd have your work laptop and you'd sort of sync your one password folder. And that was one way of kind of keeping your life, your digital life kind of um, consistent across these places. My question, I guess, is about when you started to move into building up the, the web services side of this, because that never felt like it was part of the 1Password, and now it feels like it's an essential part of what 1Password is becoming, just as everything else is moving to the cloud and we're dealing with thin clients. So help me understand that, because one of the big architectural changes, and I've, I've discovered this in my own life, as I have gotten my partner onto 1Password, now she and I have a shared vault, and adding social to any software makes it infinitely more complex. So I understand the aspect of building client software, but walk me through the journey of how like, you know, the cloud and, you know, building more web software became part of what you're doing. Cause I think that story actually is similar to other Mac developers and their journey as well. Yeah. I, so I love this aspect of, of our history a little bit because that change from standalone vaults that you could opt in to sync over Dropbox or Dropbox or iCloud to having a hosted service was, was something that we struggled with for a while and not struggled with like as a moral quandary, but struggled with from a technical point of view, because we knew that, that the strength of one password was that not just in sort of the strength of, of the cryptography and everything else, but, but there was real strength in the fact that there was no one central repository for everyone's data. And as yeah, soon I mean, as we became perspective, yeah, yes, exactly. Like, exactly right. And as soon as we became a, a hosted service, we're a yep. honeypot, right? Exactly. We, we, we have one spot we can go or someone can go to just get everybody's data. You're like the mountain and, ox of passwords or you don't want to yes. become that at least. Yeah, exactly. Right. So <laughs> like we, we, before we even wrote like a single line of code for, for the new hosted service, we said like, we gotta, we gotta solve this problem. Like we can't, we cannot be a honeypot for, for, for these people. And so uh, our security team is absolutely brilliant. They came up with this concept of, of the secret key. Uh, so basically it, you take your password and then you take this long randomized string of, of digits and you slap them together it encrypts your data to such a high degree that it's, it's computationally infeasible that, that anyone could ever 
break into it, right? We it's sort like of the had one this, actual like, use case of quantum computing, which you know we'll never get here. So we're <laughs> yes, fine. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. I mean, we had this idea that like we should be able to take our database of customer data and just put it up on GitHub, right? Like just go ahead. Like go ahead. Anyone can download this thing and try your best, and it would never matter. That was that was the bar that we wanted to reach for the security that we had. So, and and the, the account password plus secret key got us to that point. So great, like we solved that aspect. The other thing that, of course, that's always made us... So to uh, be clear, really... you, you did actually achieve that level of security. And oh, yes, yes, our, we did. All of our passwords yeah. are not all on GitHub. No, your passwords are not on GitHub. <laughs> yeah, I want to be super, super yep, Just want to make sure. Here. Yep, don't want to leave that ambiguous. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it is... They, no, it, it yep. was a, a benchmark we wanted to hit, but like Got obviously it. not the only level of security. It doesn't need to be tested, in, like, but that was the benchmark. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the other thing that's always made us a really strong offering is the fact that like your data is on your local device. And we didn't want to have a service where you had to be online to go get your stuff, right? So... In many ways, like the one password apps that connect, the one password apps connected to the onepassword.com service are really no different than they've ever been. Like it downloads your data locally, it's stored locally on your device, it's encrypted on your device, uh, it's transmitted back up to the service, fully encrypted, and, and everything else. Um, but like if you're if you're on a train going through a tunnel, you can pull up all your data and and pull out a password or pull out your passport or anything else. So there, it's. Yes, we have a hosted service, but it's not in sort of the traditional like live live access to your data only when you're connected to the internet type type experience. Um, but it it also enables us to do things like you were talking about with you and your significant other that you've got yeah. you've got shared data now, right? Yeah. Like I have a vault for me and my wife that's that's like where everything goes, and it's yeah. so great to just be like, uh, do you like? Like, I don't know the kids' social security numbers. Like, all right, well, I have them. She has them. Like, we, we, everyone has everyone's ever social security number. So, like, simple use cases like that are so much more powerful now. And if we were still sort of in the old model, it just wouldn't have ever scaled. Because you fine for two people, maybe. But, like, you get up to a team of 10. What, like, really, like, you're, you're looking at conflicts, conflict resolution. Like, it's a real mess. So, so it's been a huge, a huge win in that regard. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. Brian. Brian has a question. Yeah. Well, by the way, I need to. I need to turn on that shared thing with my wife. Although e- we, to this day, we. Oh my still- God, You don't have that. Wait. 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 I, let me. Let me pause before you, you jump into this because yeah. this is. It's. It, it's not only a, like a game changer, but it's like a relationship saver. And well, it's at least. It, hold on. Let me finish. Yeah. Yeah. It, and uh, oh, or or it's a relationship destroyer. That's also possible. Um, but. One of the challenges with security is getting people who are not in the space and don't really know how to assess the risk of their digital footprint or their digital experience to adopt these things. And so I found that when I created this shared, uh, and I actually used Dropbox to do the syncing, um, the shared folder with, it's called a, a vault, it allowed my, my partner to basically get much more protection um, and you know sharing secure credentials than what she was doing before, which, you know, like many people do is to reuse the same password in many places or to have a series of three or four passwords that they reuse. And then they will share them amongst their family members and everyone remembers it. And then they start using those and they propagate it like a virus. And Mm -hmm. so what this allowed for was to essentially teach someone how to use like a password generator that's going to create something that's more secure, that's not memorable, um, but have a place to store it. 
and then to use that in multiple places. So I just want to point this out because I did not understand this use case previously. And it's one that I think has really, really improved at least my sense of overall security and my partners. Um, and, and so, yeah. Well, and, and I, I was going uh, to say uh, to the, we've been married 10 years and we still don't have, we still have separate bank accounts and separate credit cards. So there's a lot of things that we haven't joined, but, um, but <laughs> speaking of that, like, you know, I, uh, you know, we were just talking about like kids' social security numbers, like those are the secure notes and things like that, or even just like filling in credit cards, like even just kids having passwords, you know, right? Right, like exactly. how do you get them to like use something that's secure? Well, Anyways. our kids aren't old enough that if they have to log into something, I got to do it for them. But, um, so all right, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm I'm hemming and hawing to yeah. Chris. Chris asks the product, ask your question, the, the, the product questions, I ask the business questions, and um, I don't know uh, who wants to take this one, but um, last month when um, your latest round was announced, um, I believe you guys announced that you had like uh, 90,000 uh, business customers at this point. Um, to what degree? Uh, have you guys up until this point been consumer facing and to what degree is sort of the business side of it, the enterprise side of it, maybe the the future for y'all? We, it's something that as we've, as we've grown, we talk a lot about like who is one password for. And one of the core tenets that we, we keep coming back to is like one passwords for everyone. Right. Um, at the same time, we look at sort of where we have, as a company, we think we have the most growth to do, and we really have a big opportunity, we think, in, in the business space. And so we're, we're, taking some, we're, you know, we're taking some opportunities to move more into that space and try and tackle some of the problems that we think we can solve in the business space. And you've seen that, well, you maybe have seen that in some of the recent uh, announcements we had earlier this year. Uh, We launched a product called Secrets Automation. It's basically one password for cloud services, right? So now, and it integrates in with normal one password such that like you could go and set up uh, an Amazon web service and use one password to, to provide the passwords for it or provide tokens for it. And know that those those passwords, those tokens, are stored securely in one password, and it's all managed. And you can go and you can go and roll those keys. Like if someone, let's say that someone leaves a company that had been managing these keys for you, like a company can just be like, all right, cool. Like I'll just roll those tokens. That person is gone. They don't have access to this anymore. So like we're we're moving beyond individual password management in that way, but it is all additive, right? It's not at the expense of of still providing the the experiences and the solutions that we need for customers that are you know a family or an individual or, or a small team right with everyone fighting for attention how can your business stand out and connect with customers that's easy get constant contact constant contacts award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out stay top of mind and see big results fast Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time every time. 
Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So, get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Indeed. To what degree, though, I've done a couple stories recently about the big platforms all saying that they're going to kill passwords, Microsoft saying it, Google saying it, everyone's saying it. And, and, and we're moving, uh, in theory, towards a future where it's, you know, biometrics and things like that. Um, a company with the name Password in the name, uh, you guys still, you guys still see a, a space and a use case for y'all in, in a future biometric world. So, yes. Like, one of the cool things about... So, first of all, yes. Like, I think that it's it would be ignorant of, of me to say like, don't worry. Like that's all a bunch of bunk. Like that's, that's never going to happen. Like, no, certainly not. Um, hey, I think we're all looking forward to it. I think it would be great if you don't have to worry about the passwords at all. Right. Yes. R- much more concise than I was going to say. Yes. The, the, the technologies <laughs> that are being pr- proposed to do these things, like we're excited about, and looking at ways that we can adopt them so that we, like one password could become potentially a passwordless option, right? Like, okay, cool. Like, uh, we're, we're all in on this, on this future because we think that it's the best way to go for. I mean, you, you, you functionally, you functionally are for me already anyway. I have no idea what any of my passwords are. (laughs) Like, so it doesn't really matter. It's just the click of a, this is true. Yeah. And integrated with password autofill on iOS, right? Like you're you're signing in using your face, face and stuff yeah, is, yeah. is just working. Yeah. Where so I mean, one of the questions I think is is also like where this goes because I, I think having been so intimately familiar both with like your history and with the evolution of authentication on the web and the increasing places where it's not just authentication, you know, it is authorization and access. And increasingly, you know, now the world that I'm in, in the fintech space, there's KYC, which is Know Your Customer, which requires increasing levels of authentication with different, you know, providers like the government and things like that. One of the, this is, I'm I'm sort of reaching a little bit, but I I am curious, like, how you guys think about this, um, because I think it's important to to think about where where this goes, which, you know, right now, obviously, we're in this very interesting moment um, when in order to go out to many places in the world, you're going to need to have some sort of um, proof that you've been vaccinated. And 1Password sits in this very interesting place you know, where you guys could provide at least the underpinnings of or the access to. Uh, I, as, as far as I know, there's no way for me to add uh, vaccination or proof of vac- vaccination as a type of information to 1Password, or am I mistaken about that? You are mistaken. We did add a, okay. uh, a medical record 
tight. Okay. Uh, it is, I will say, it, it is a place to store your personal information. It does not act as any official government document or anything. So I think that's part of my question, right? Like, on the one hand, there's the storing of the secrets, and then there's the using them in different contexts. And increasingly, at least Apple seems to be, you know, we had this earlier conversation about what Samsung's doing, but I feel like Samsung, at least in my impression of those devices, aren't really thinking about the way in which people become somewhat more merged with their with their technology, I guess. Um, and what I mean by that is I'm thinking about how I can use my Clipper card in San Francisco to, you know, go and get on the subway by just waving my phone, you know, or my watch over the turnstile. And so one password has access to a bunch of these credentials that I would want to use in lots of different circumstances. So to what degree do you see an opportunity maybe to either provide leadership in that space or to store some of that information and then to be able to replay it in different contexts? Or do you simply want to kind of like be the place where the, 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 the secrets are stored and, and that's your business? So we're always, it's, gosh, it's like you've, it's like you've been hanging out in some of our Slack channels. Like this is so fun. <laughs> um, like we, we, this is a, this is a type of thing that we talk about a lot is sort of like, how do we take that data that people do store one password and make it more actionable? And it's, it's a tricky proposition in a lot of ways because the thing, you know, the behaviors that you were talking about uh, using, using your phone to just, you know, get on the subway and stuff like Yes, absolutely. Like that's, that's something that a hardware, an integrated hardware software provider can totally build and create. And as, as a, a purely a software provider, we're sort of at the whims of what the, what the hardware providers can give, give to us in that way. Right. Um, so it does, it does present challenges, uh, which is to say like, there's nothing today that I think that that would sort of get us to where we need to be in that in that space, but it is something that we're always looking at ways to, to sort of take advantage of and, and, and yeah, make, make the stuff that's in one password, just more, more actionable. The, the vaccine passport thing is such a cool idea because it's one of those things. It's like, if, if there were a standard that we could implement, like we would be there. Like with that, like, I mean, I'm not going to pre-announce I mean, you're the almost product there, but like, right? Yeah. Like, like, like we would love to be able to provide something like well, that. So, people. so I, I guess that's it's part of my question too, because I don't have, you know, as, as a consumer of your product, you know, I have my own perception of how it's used and who uses it, but I have no idea about the kind of commercial conversations that you're having, or if you're having conversations with governments or with other places. Again, that would you know really want to equip their citizens or their customers with you know, secure credentials. I mean, there's, you know, the whole crypto space obviously is, and, and what's happening with Web3, I think is very relevant to what you guys are doing. You know, you guys use very similar, um, I don't know if it's the same cryptography, but the same approach where you have some sort of massive key or a seed phrase, and that's the thing that secures your account. And so anybody that gets a wallet in the crypto space suddenly, like, at least has sort of, sort of an adjacent comprehension of what 1Password kind of offers and provides and how it does it. And so, by the way, I store all of those in 1Password, but go on. Oh, Right. Well, well, but exactly. Right. So I guess I'm just trying to like, you know, there's, there's this one password eight kind of early release thing. And, you know, that's a story and we can talk about the underlying changes of electron versus Swift UI or, you know, using or moving away from Mac technologies, you know, people are going to have their, their, their sports teams and they're going to, you know, want the Yankees or the Red Sox to win. That's fine. I guess I'm, I am more interested in the future of authentication and identity because I've been in this space for so long and you guys have too. So if you give me any sense for where you see these opportunities and the conversations that you're having, um, that would, I, I don't know. I think that'd be really, really interesting. 
I think Tobolet came up so often, right? And we even had a blog post about uh, how to use one password to for cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. uh, and we really wanted to implement some levels, like some support there. But imagine doing that on five different platforms, right? And I think that's where that's where it kind of stopped. Like, we well, isn't that true for MetaMask and like the other ones? Like, aren't they going to have to do the same? Or, or, or are you saying that they have less service area to, to worry about because they're more focused just in the crypto context? No, no, I'm just saying if you want to do this on, we had five, if you remember, before 1Password 8, we, we had five different teams working right. on different platforms, right? And every time we want to implement a new feature, we're like, okay, now we need to coordinate all these five teams. And yeah. like the, yeah. just the amount of work basically stopped a lot of projects. Hmm. Hmm. But like, I guess, is that not also just the, the nature of building software in 2021? It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> you're you're well, obviously closer to it. That's kind of what we're like. That's that's what we want to get away from, right? So, like, it's mm. it's I I would as much as I like want to dive into like the okay. I'm gonna I am gonna I'm gonna be a little bit of a frustrating guest because I'm not gonna Go answer your question uh, yeah. directly, but instead I'm gonna I'm gonna twist it and answer it the way that I want to. <laughs> um, Perfect. Which is to say that like. Uh, if, if we sort of like bring this back to like the the whole like you know one password eight and the platform thing like this, it is the thing that I'm the most excited about is because of this one password core because of the fact that like yeah we we do have we can affect change across all of our deployment platforms in one code base. Uh, it sets us up for those types of conversations and those types of like going out and solving those types of problems in a way that we just, we just couldn't before, right? Like this is sort of that first step that level sets us and it says, cool. Like now okay, we don't okay. have to worry. Let, let me pause you because I, I know it just happened, which is that I'm doing the thing that I normally do, which is like, cool, cool, cool. What's the next thing? And so first I will just I, I sit and kind of acknowledge, you know, what one password eight represents for you guys in terms of cohering around a, a strong core that then allows you to then even entertain those thoughts. Because in the previous yes. world, prior to eight, like uh, suddenly you have five teams that have to spin up and coordinate and it's like a shit show. So it's like, how are we going to make this happen? And now it's like, well, we've come together. We have a common code base. Now this allows us to have the conversation that we weren't able to have before. Yeah, and I'll even butt in there and say from like the business perspective, because I know uh, Brian's a big fan of that. Um, and who, who owns this voice so people know who's talking? Oh, sorry. So this is uh, Andrew Beyer. I'm the uh, lead of our browser experience here at 1Password. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so from a business perspective, one of the really interesting things, origin story about 1Password is Dave and Rustam um, built this company up completely privately held. We had zero inside uh, or outside investment um, for the first 12, 13 years of its lineage, right? And because of that, that did kind of prevent some of the scale up. So for a little bit of background history, I joined this company um, a little over four years ago. And I was about like around 50 employees at the time. And people were freaking out. They're like, holy cow, this is huge. huge. This company's <laughs> getting big, right? We are now in a little less, a little over four years pushing 500 uh, employees, right? So we've scaled up in, in four years, 10x um, from an employee's perspective. Um, so I can, I can be completely honest and say there have been companies from the fintech space, from different spaces who reached out to us in those, uh, in those earlier days and wanted to build integrations. And we were just like, whoa, 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 there's no way 
uh, we can support that right now, right? Like we're just not of that size, right? So one of the really interesting things about, um, you know, investment and, and growing the team um, is we actually do have some things in the pipeline now where we are integrating with other businesses, bringing new functionality to you directly within the app, within the browser. Um, one example of that, that um, isn't like the all in becoming, we're going to re-roll all of uh, authentication for the web is our integration with privacy.com that we launched um, uh, late last year. And that basically yes. gives you the ability to create and store in one password these uh, generated uh, credit cards, virtual credit cards, directly as you're checking out, right? Mm. And that was a great example of a mutual pri uh, partnership between one password and this other company. Because let's be honest, like we're over here writing client apps, we're not spinning up fintech, we're not building a bank service. You know, we're headquartered in Canada. There's a lot of regulation around that. But what's cool about that is now. Um, where we're super strong, which is we're built into, you know, your digital life, we can now offer companies like Privacy the ability to have um, their service built directly into one password, you know, right as you're signing up and creating that generated password, you can now generate a virtual credit card, fill that on the page and um, go about your business. And it, as an added benefit, you can now store that credit card in one password, access that CVV verification number later. And it really kind of, um, I know Brian recently talked about the friction of checkout, right? On one of the Tech Meme podcasts, like we helped eliminate the friction of checkout and that's the kind of areas where we are going to be able to really push um, after with this foundation and with as we scale and as we build this incredible organization. Yeah, I use I, I just said that I use uh, one password to fill in my credit cards. I, I used to memorize my credit card numbers and I haven't. What? It. I it's did. Like remembering yeah. like phone numbers. Uh, well, I, I used to do it. I used to do it. But. <laughs> I understand. Well, okay. So I, I, I had a quick question on this, uh, and then we can probably uh, wrap up pretty soon. Um, one of the things you just said, I think, is, is is important, and we really didn't even talk about it because we've talked so much about the authentication piece, the software piece, but like the fintech world is on fire, and the fact that there is more of this movement to virtual credit cards, you know, and essentially bringing some of the you know credential best practices to, I guess, you know, financial credentials. Like it seems like one password is well positioned to sort of be like your one credit card. So, how do you think about, I guess, maybe verticals that are relevant from a business perspective? You know, and Andrew, I'm specifically interested in your perspective. Um, you know, you guys took this investment from Excel, and I'm sure they're awesome to work with. They have a bunch of portfolio companies. It just feels like there's a strategic opportunity there for you guys to, you know, as they said in their blog post, to kind of really try to own that space. And the question I have is like, well, what is that space, and how do you guys think about that? Yeah, I don't know if I can answer that question great, but I will say that like one of the reasons why we partnered with Excel wasn't really to get the money, it was to access all of the companies that they work with, right? So yep. we brought them on as a board of directors. Um, the first investment was somewhere around like 18 months ago or so. And mm -hmm. as you can imagine, like these things take a bit of time to build mm -hmm. those relationships, get those kind of um, future plans in place, and then really launch a new product with it, right? And what's funny is like we kind of the reason why we trended on Twitter, Twitter was, and and we keep harping on it, right? And Rustam and I are keep harping on it is like we just built the foundation, right? Like we built the Slack of one password now 
we are building all of the Slack apps or the one password apps that will connect in and allow you to access all of those. And one of the great things we get out of working with someone like Excel is they have a ton of these companies that they work with and that they back and they've been setting up those relationships for us and allowing us to explore the next really big thing. And when we build the next really big thing, it will be consistent. It will be delivered cross-platform, mobile, desktop, web, everywhere. And and that's one of the places where 1Password is really greatly positioned in this market, right? There's not a lot of people that have a lot of browser extensions, but if you're a 1Password user, you're guaranteed to have that integrated into your browser. Um, even Apple announced web extensions in iOS 15 and iPadOS 15, so we're going to be there. We're going to be able to bring these services that may not build something that would directly connect into your browser, we're bringing that capability to them and we're bringing that capability to our users. Yeah, okay. So I, I, I am trying to close this, but like you just brought up something that I think is, is super relevant, super important, and also one that's just not a conversation that we get to talk a lot about, which is the extension piece of this. Because there's a constant question about antitrust and about the uh, extensibility of, of software, about things like uh, app stores, and, you know, the control over those. You guys have made a, a very successful business being probably one of the most downloaded and installed extensions across all the different browsers. You know, you live and die based on those extension, you know, rules. And, you know, historically, extensions can be really, really insecure and problems, you know, cause lots of problems for browsers. I guess it does seem, on the other hand, you guys have surfed that wave or set of waves really effectively um, and, and are one of the few businesses that really kind of builds atop a of, of browsers. Does that, you know, or is that any concern for the future? I mean, the web seems to be moving towards APIs and sort of point-to-point -point integrations, but you guys live on top of the browser experience itself. So do you expect that to continue to evolve, um, especially on mobile? Well, that's a really good question. And it, I, I would say like two years ago, I'd have a different answer. I do want to quickly say, I forgot to interject. Um, we did actually add support for Sidekick. It's even in 1Password 7 beta, by the way. We've oh, I know. It, it just broke today. So Sidekick I, I, I filed a bug um, on, your, on your community forum. But yes, I, I really appreciated when it was there. And now it's gone. Now I feel the pain. So but yes, yeah. you have my feedback. Um, so uh, the... the Actually integrating with browsers, I think, was a fear at one point. Um, it's a kind of an interesting back uh, history where Dave and Rustam were actually like swizzling Safari and injecting their code before code right. sense was a thing. I remember that. Running in the browser, that was a pretty right? big like, hack, right? Nobody can yeah, build a business like this. They were literally hacking yeah. the browser and adding in just random code to get one password rolling, right? So we have been in the browser extension game before there were browser extensions, which is kind of a fun... Like, it's like you invented the category, thing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I will say, like, so, you know, we were concerned at certain times, right? Like, Apple kind of were killing off extensions as we saw it, but last year they launched web extensions, which is the um, common API shared between Chromium-based browsers, yep. Firefox, and now Safari. And they just announced in the last year that they're bringing this now to iPhone and iPad OS. And I'll be honest, it's like everything. There's a lot of places where I think there can be improvement. We have a lot of, you know, we're working on it every day to try to make it better. But I mean, I wouldn't say that Apple would be going all in on this bet and talking about it at WWDC if they were planning off, uh, planning on killing web extensions in the next year or two, right? Um, and, and to add to that point, there's actually um, Apple and Google 
And the W3C just launched a web extensions community group, which is basically an open community that anybody can join. Many members from 1Password are there. There's people from Firefox. There's people from even our competitors um, that are there trying to basically build the foundation for the very next version of the web extensions API. So there's a heck of a lot of investment from Google, Apple, Microsoft, Mozilla, like all of the big names, we literally have to work with all of them, but they're all kind of coming together to set that next big web extension web standard. So we're feeling pretty safe there. Um, and then of course, you know, worst case, you're using Sidekick, you know, there could always be a one password browser, right? Like there's, there's, there's always options if the uh, extension area gets shut down. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, guys, this is super helpful, super useful. I really appreciate you guys all being game for this, you know, for, for taking some of my, my salty comments, which, you know, is normally where I start. And then I kind of like, you know, unravel a bit. Um, you guys did get, oh, you know, you pissed off the internet. Uh, but I, I feel like it's a lot of the, the, the trend lately is like, oh, there's something that happened and I wasn't consulted and therefore I'm angry. And then like you learn a little more and, um, you know, you guys seem like you're in pretty good spirits. Like, th- th- that's the, this is the last question I'll, I'll ask, which is, what is your impression of the response, right? Like, my sense is that you guys see this and you're like, wow, that's, that's weird. Like, why are you guys all freaking out? But I'd love to hear it from you. You know, you see this and you see some of the feedback. What are people getting wrong? What do you think, you know, is right in the criticism so far? I think everyone should answer that, but I'll, I'll add mine real quickly. Um, but I think Rue and, and Rustam probably have different um, feelings about it. Essentially, I knew exactly that this was going to happen, right? Like I complain about Electron apps being slow sometimes on my machine. Um, Mm -hmm. The difference is which Electron app it is, right? Mm -hmm. So I use VS Code every day. It's been built on Electron. It's backed by Microsoft. It's an incredible app. And Mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is we've built this 1Password headless uh, client. We can really swap out any UI front end that we want in the future. Um, It just so happens that Web UI is the cross-platform UI uh, platform of choice right now. And Electron just happens to be the vessel for getting kind of our native backend and our web frontend on every platform. And it the industry's borne this out, right? Like we all use Slack. Uh, even Apple uses Slack, right? Uh, most of the Apple commentators that are going to talk about this in the news, they're going to be <laughs> discussing one password using Electron on an Electron yeah. app, right? Like the, the hypocrisy aside, mm-hmm. um, right. <laughs> like, literally Slack is one of the best, most used desktop apps of this decade. And one password is going to be the most used best electron app of next decade. And we're, I'm personally extremely happy about that. And I can't wait to see the future. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide. 
finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. That's a great answer. Yeah, uh, much the same in terms of like, like I think we knew that this was coming, right? We knew, we knew that publishing uh, a one password app uh, wrapped up in Electron was going to be, was going to hit our, our, our fan base. And I will say fan base, like pretty hard, right? This is, Mm. this is a pretty uh, strong left turn from, from how we built our apps in the past. And yeah, it was, it was something that we sort of saw coming. The piece that I'm hoping to get, to get to is sort of past the, the gut reactions and into the, the, like, the meat of it because we still even though that this even though this is the tech stack that we've chosen for this for this particular app like we still want to build great mac apps so like and we're, we're going to try and do so on this platform and i think that that knowing where we've fallen short is the thing that i want to hear the most from people because we're at that point or at least i know i'm at that point now where i've been living with this app and using this app for so long that like it's normalized for me at this point. So we need those fresh eyes. We need those people to tell us like, Hey, like you got this part wrong. This needs to be better. So we can actually iterate and, and make it better and ship something to stable that like people are happy about and people love. So, so Rue, I want to, I want to hear from you on the, on this, on this just qualifying question, I guess, which is, it seemed to me that there was almost like a spiritual element to this, response in other words like when i saw it you know and i was like oh it's electron it was like oh there's another great mac app that's you know gone the way of the web and is needs to be cross-platform because that's what the business world kind of needs and so in a way it sort of felt like this i don't know like a little bit of an abandonment of where you came from and i you know i think what you just said was was useful and good which is that 
our expectations of, of these web apps and these electron apps is sufficiently low because of the way in which people often build these things and they don't optimize them. I think that, and I guess maybe I'd like to hear from you, you know, you're obviously betting, you know, more or less the company on this new direction. Should people be concerned about that? And should they worry about, you know, losing some of these, these Mac roots and replacing them with something more of the web? So I'm going to tell you another story. <laughs> okay. um, and, and I know that we're running long and I apologize, but this, it's, it's a good story. So when we started this project back at the beginning of last year, we said, okay, like we're, we're doing file new project on all of our apps. Okay. What does that mean? Well, Linux, Linux has a ton of different windowing environments. We're not building native Linux apps, like native UI Linux apps, where we're going to use GNOME and you know, all the different uh, all, all the different possible Linux permutations of UI. We're going to build an Electron app there. We're going to build an app with web UI there, and we're going to package it with Electron, and that's what we're going to ship. That'll be fine. All right, what about Windows? Well, Windows has proven to us to be a bit of a struggle to hit the UX that we want to hit using the toolkits that come uh, available to build native UI and Windows. So let's take and we'll ship web UI there and let's go ahead and, and we'll wrap that in Electron. That's fine. Good. We'll do that. What about on Mac? Well, Mac, we've always had a history of building native Mac apps. So let's try for that. Like, let's, let's do that. But part of this project was consolidating our efforts a bit. So we had a huge amount of consolidation in the core already, fine. But we also wanted to consolidate our front ends too. Even though they're thin, we didn't we, we didn't want to be writing, writing a whole bunch of different front ends. So we said, let's bet on SwiftUI. Let's try it. We're going to build a SwiftUI Mac app, and that will share a whole bunch of UI with with the iOS apps that we're building. Like we're, we're I mean, that, that's honestly what I would have expected. So uh, I'm, yes. I'm very curious to hear this. Yeah. So. <laughs> Okay, great. We want to, we're going to do that. And, and listen, there's a little bit of hubris in this. Okay, I think there's a lot of hubris in, in, <laughs> in, in, a, in a company rewriting all their apps anyway. But anyway, that Quite. aside, like this is we said. Okay, like we're gonna we're gonna build a SwiftUI Mac app. It's going to have to target relatively modern OSs to take advantage of the new SwiftUI stuff in order to be good enough. Uh, we can't do that though like we can't set our minimum requirements to just be big sir for the new app because people keep their macs for a lot longer they just we, we need to be able to cover a broader range of os's that's okay we'll use the electron app on mac as well to cover to cover the os's that that the native app doesn't so we can check all the boxes for the platforms that we need to hit but we also know how important it is to people that we build a native mac app and they're probably going to be on the latest stuff anyway. Let's go ahead and do that. And like, cool. We, we went, we went to town, we started building this thing and it was great. Like we, you know, had having a lot of fun, having a lot of challenges with Swift UI and learning stuff and everything else. And we hit a point earlier, gosh, was it earlier this year? I think it was earlier this year at times a blur. We hit a point and where we said, like, okay, like, what are, what are we really doing, though? Like, how are we actually going to get these things to finish? How are we going to ship this? How are we not going to confuse people by, like, which one they're supposed to download? Like, are we putting our effort in the wrong spot? Like, should we, should we just pull back from this a little bit? And it, honestly, it was a hard conversation. It was, it was like, we, we struggled with this for a while. We said, like, 
listen. Like, and it was at that point we said, like, look, if we are only shipping an app that is packaged with Electron on Mac, like people are probably going to lose their minds when they see this. <laughs> and so, wrong. like, we we weren't wrong there. Um, but ultimately, like, it was just it was sort of like a, a nexus event of, of a lot of things coming together. Like we could have said, fine, we're going to pivot and build an app kit app, but that doesn't, that didn't fit with like us wanting to consolidate the front end languages that we were using. So ultimately like we made the decision to go and, and build, go all in on the web UI on the desktop and say like, look, we're going to do this. And it allows us to, to, you know, of course we get the benefits of like, a cross-platform experience that that the same features that that we're bringing to to the Mac, we're also bringing to Linux and Windows at the exact same time. But then you look at sort of, you know, we certainly did, and 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 I hope that it starts to show through, especially as the early access goes on. It's like what what things make this special, or what make a Mac app special, right? Like if you look at this app, one of the things we added just a couple weeks ago was the fact that it's got that translucent sidebar that all new mac apps have right that we didn't do that because it was easy because it also it wasn't uh but like <laughs> like this would be really cool if we could bring this this like you know this this thing that makes that one of the things that makes a mac app look like a mac app like let's br see if we can bring it to our app and we did um so like it it was it was not it was not an easy decision to make uh we're still we're still building a native iOS app, right? Like that's I, that's that's one that when it comes out later this year, I'm I'm hoping that the reception on that early access day is a little bit better. Um, but you know, like this this is this is where we are today. We're doing we're doing the best we can. I, honestly, I think we've done we've done really well so far with it, and I'm excited to see where we take it from here. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's that's a great note to end on. Thank you for that story as well. I mean, I think like it's just. There's, I don't know if I want to call it like bad faith, but there is this sense that like, oh, you know, they, they should have known like Electron doesn't work. And it's like, of course they do. Like there's trade-offs in all of this. And it's, it's really, really hard, of course, when you, you know, first come upon information to have any sense for how much someone did or didn't think about all the issues that, you know, you personally care the most about. And because we don't live in, there's not a real kind of democracy in software development, you know, where people can, you know, vote, although, you know, that's the crypto world. Um, it does feel like, you know, people have this immediate reaction uh, that says, I don't trust you to do a good job. And I think there needs to be these kind of conversations that, you know, bring in and open up more of these I mean, literal spaces um, to have these conversations, to get your perspective, to see what the constraints are, to see what the trade-offs are, and then to think about how much you guys have had to think about it. And also think about, you know, the, the amount of resources that you have. You know, do you really want to, you know, grow from five to a thousand people just to be able to support, you know, a Swift UI app or something? Like, probably not. So... Anyways, again, we are uh -huh. we are extremely fortunate to have such a passionate fan base. That is the big takeaway from this, right? Like, I, I, yes. we made Twitter um, trending without <laughs> having some wild controversy about our founders or CEO of the company, right? Our our Twitter trending is over. We electron, electron. You know, yeah. what I mean? so like yeah. that is that is an attest a testament to how passionate our users are, and we are incredibly fortunate. And we are incredibly fortunate to be a company to actually be involved in that community and, and listen. Like, for example, mm -hmm. um, our 
one of the things we did as, as part of this rewrite is our security team actually wrote a package to make Electron apps more secure, to harden them after they're built. And we got to contribute that back to the community. Uh, what, and, what is that one called for people that want to check it out? Uh, it's on our GitHub repo. It's on uh, github.com forward slash one password. It should okay. be pinned up there uh, cool. if you don't find it. But I think it's called like Electron Hardener or something oh. like that. So um, <laughs> Obvious. Yeah, definitely check that out um, because, yeah, definitely Electron-Hardener. Um, yeah. It is basically if you are like us and you want to build, uh, take a Rust library, build an Electron app, you run this tool and it will make your app more secure, right? Like that is obviously a core fundamental of what we're doing here at 1Password. Um, even though I've heard honeypot and viruses mentioned <laughs> hmm. in various conversations here, <laughs> I would say like we do have the best security policies, practices, and you know trust from our users with regard to security and privacy. And so one of the technical challenges was can we make an Electron app that can give us the security guarantees that we require? And and we were able to do that, and not only that, contribute back to the community. Got it. And, and on top of that, too, we also have Electron Secure Defaults, which is a starter project that can get you started with Electron, so that it has a lot of those secure defaults turned on by, well, mm -hmm. default. Um, and another talk from our uh, product lead, uh, Mitch, uh, Mitchell Cohen, mm -hmm. uh, which went up at one of the conferences this year to talk about the ways that we harden uh, Electron as so that we can ship the most secure version of 1Password. Wow. Well, this is also great news. Um, so if people want to find this, I, I assume I'm looking at it right now, they can go to blog.1password.com, but is there another place where they can go find out more about 1Password 8, or is it the best uh, resource right, right now? Oh, yeah, sorry, go to the blog. Yeah, blog is good. Okay. I, I yeah, went this is mode for a minute. I was like, "Oh yeah, I wonder what people are going to say." Is this a podcast or am I on a Twitter space? <laughs> no, that is one of the cool things, right? Like, this is the very first version of a fully flushed out, rewritten app. So, yeah. like, of course, there's going to be a few bugs here or there. But the level of polish we put into essentially what is the first beta version you can get is is really outstanding. It, so, it does look really um, good. And, and I noticed there's a little bug, a little ladybug icon in the top right of the app. And so I presume that's the best place to send feedback. Yeah, absolutely. You can file um, kind of issue, or you can uh, get directly into our feedback um, and and kind of submit either through our forums, which we still have because we've been a mm -hmm. software company for a decade and a half. We have a community forum. Um, mm -hmm. Diehard users love it, but we also just have a regular contact form on onepasser.com that you can kind of submit kind of issues and and we'll get those prioritized. In. Oh, I got it. All right, guys, this was amazing. Thank you for staying on super long. I appreciate everyone here who's also been listening to this entire conversation. Um, if you guys want to follow uh, the speakers, I highly rec recommend it. You know, reach out. They're not going to bite. They're open for your feedback as well. Um, Rue, Sam, Andrew, Nick, Michael, I think that's all the speakers today. Um, Brian, of course, really appreciate you guys showing up for another episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. We will probably get this out, if not tomorrow, this weekend. Um, but really appreciate you guys showing up um, and putting in uh, all this effort to help us understand what you guys are working on and get us excited about uh, the future that you guys are building. So thank you. Thanks, everybody. Cheers, yeah, thanks thank for having you. us. It was Thanks really fun. Um, thank you. Last time I talked to Brian, we were talking about e-bikes on Twitter, and his wife was flooding <laughs> and saying no. So I've been I've been wanting to talk to him with oh, my voice for a while now. So thank I'm, you, I'm Andrew. Grateful, and, I'm really thankful to, to have this conversation. Well, and by the way, you're right. Uh, the stories that I love the most are the stories of companies that go 14 years before they even have to take <laughs> outside capital. Like uh, so, um, I I am one of your fans. So. 
Keep doing what you're awesome. doing, guys. 